This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with a return guest. Uh, she's only been here once before, and it's about two years ago when her uh, uh, book, Right to Influence, came out. Carla Bass, welcome back. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You're welcome. Uh, we're going to be talking about the same thing that we talked about two years ago because there's a lot of there's always new stuff about this, but I want to start with a couple of things. First of all, I found some research that says the attention span of humans in general and Americans in particular is shrinking. And some research scientists say that the attention span can be as short as eight seconds. So the other thing I want to remind people of a certain age is that from 89 to 95, HBO produced something that that, uh, ultimately ended up on Comedy Central called Short Attention Span Theater. And Short Attention Span Theater was uh, – it's where Jon Stewart became nationally prominent, uh, among others. Um, But uh, it it was premised on short skits uh, with uh, with some just really, really funny people. So look it up on YouTube and – and check out a couple of things. But, I, you know, that name, Short Attention Span Theater, has stuck with me ever since. And the reason that Carla's back is we, we, we both agree on the concept of concise, uh, concise and precise communication. So, um, uh, Carla, uh, second edition of your book's out. Yes, thank you. It came out this summer. It has another 70, uh, 70 pages in addition to the, the – or more than the first version with new chapters on writing grants, on college application, essays, elevator speeches, uh, framing a paper, the psychology of the catch-know-your-audience, and, and lots of other goodies in it. Okay. Um, the other thing we touched on when you were here last time was uh, a, a concept that was drilled into me. Uh, when I was in graduate school, not in graduate school uh, did I learn this, but as a telemarketer mm-hmm. uh, way back when. And the concept was word per idea ratio. And the guy who taught this, Chris Trelease, drilled into the people who worked at Sterner and Klein the, the concept that you want to use as few words as possible to convey what you were trying to do, remain polite. Uh, but again, concise and precise. So uh, I actually came up. I was I was asked when I use this in in presentation. Somebody finally said, "Can you can you explain that more to me?" So I, I came up with an explanation. If you want it, it's three short paragraphs. I'll email it to you, but I'm not going to read it. Uh, so uh, so s- starting there, we have the convergence of two opposing forces here. That short attention span that that uh, um, the research and short attention span theater pointed out what thirty years ago now, mm-hmm. um, 
And and the ability, the desire to communicate with particular audiences. I, I explain this in, in the workshops that I teach. If you can imagine um, a white rectangle, inch tall, six inches wide, and and impose in that in big black letters the word opportunity, every writer is constrained by two things. You're constrained by time. I'm going to do a knock-knock joke with you right now. Knock-knock. Who's there? Wrong answer. Everybody is so busy today. The right answer to knock-knock is, what do you want? I'm busy. Make your point. Get it over and get it fast and move on. So writers are – You receive robocalls too. I do. (laughs) So writers are constrained by the readers or the audience's time, and they're also constrained by space, whether it's the the above-the-fold space on a web page or actual uh, space that, that's demarcated on a government form, describe what you're going to or convey your message in 300 words or less. So the moral there is the person who can best leverage that time and space equation wins. So brevity, brevity conciseness is, is essential nowadays. You know where else that applies? Mm-hmm. The above the fold on LinkedIn, that opening screenshot. Exactly. You've got the background graphic, but most important, the most important uh, verbal real estate on your website is your headline. Yep. 200 characters where you can spell out who you are, what you do, and who you do it for. Yep. Leverage that time and space. And that's that's what this whole right to influence um, methodology teaches. Okay. So, um, so where do you want to start? I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to do here, but um, developing powerful content is something that I've been attempting to do pretty much all my life. I've mm-hmm. been writing since I was about four. Mm-hmm. Um, seriously, business-wise, for the last 35 years. Yeah, and that, that's a great place to start. Um, the, the, way, the way I write and the way I, I teach others is think in terms of an inverted triangle. The, the top part of that inverted triangle are the strategies that you apply to actually develop the guts of your message. The pointy end of the triangle is where you apply the word sculpting tools, where you hone the draft so that every single word counts. Now, I've got three real quick strategies to share with you on the top part of that triangle. Sure. Uh, The first is know your audience. That's the cardinal rule in any communication. You have to know what their background is, what their familiarity with the subject matter is. Second, under that same strategy, is know what the audience hopes to gain from your communication. And equally important is what do you hope to gain by communicating your message to the audience? Once you know those three factors, then you can actually – uh, pitch your message so it leads the audience to your desired conclusion. So know the audience is the first strategy. Yeah, and you you may recall that I asked you to come in uh, two summers ago to my graduate class mm-hmm. at GW because the first three years I taught there, I told students that, you know, I want 400-word essays, 400 words, so basically not even a full page. I wish other teachers would would use that same methodology. But uh but I got back this, you know, every year only 3 or 4 out of the 12 or 15 in my class would come back with something under 400 words. The rest would be like two pages of worthless crap. No, I I know the the school system and no ding on the instructors, but the the school system uh puts out students even coming out of grad school who write fat as opposed to writing skinny, and, and that's, uh, that's handicapping them when they hit this very fast-paced environment where every second counts. 
But the second of the three strategies is know how to resonate with the audience. So, for example, if you're speaking to a potential employer, uh, explain, here's how I can help you, and then correlate your skills to their mission needs. Don't say, hey, hire me because I'm great at. If you're, if you're um, competing for a grant, you explain it in, here's how my, proposed, or how my proposal can further your mission, not I've got a great idea. If you're selling a book, it's not with this, it, it should be. With this book, you'll learn how to instead of, hey, buy my book. It got lots of awards. So you have to think with empathy and you have to craft the message from the recipient's um, purview. And that's how you, you start resonating with the reader. My books sold pretty well, but they didn't win any awards. <laughs> <laughs> the, the last tip I've got from the strategies is y- you want to be able to elicit this response. By golly, you're speaking my language. So if you're, if you're, if you're talking to a specialized audience, whether it's business or, or technical, then that type of vocabulary is appropriate. I mean, for example, I helped a friend edit – uh, an article for a baseball journal. And, and in that article, he was talking about strike out the side. I had no clue what that meant, but his audience did, and that's what's important. Or if you're on the, the flip side to that, if you're, if you're lobbying Congress for money for an IT system, don't pitch that proposal in terms of processing and storage capacity. Explain how it's going to benefit the mission, how it's going to be- benefit the taxpayer. But you have to speak in terms that the fund uh, decision makers understand. Okay. Um, so um, next next part of your book, what do you do? What do you, where, where are we? Um, well, we were down to the bottom pointy yeah. part of the triangle is the word sculpting. That's where you hone the words so that uh, you know, verbicide, don't kill people with verbs. Example, make a determination is determine. Hold a discussion is discuss. Uh, redundancies will kill your message also. Example there is malicious computer virus. Well, look at that. What what computer virus isn't not, malicious? Yeah. And then wasted words. Uh, if there's a disagreement between two parties can be shortened to if two parties disagree. You just shortened it by half and you saved a lot of space and you're not inflicting awful writing on the reader. Yeah. My, my daughter, Laura, who teaches English on the Eastern Shore, um, is my editor when I have time uh, ahead of time to get something out. If I'm if I'm going to get something out that day, oftentimes it, it's not going to get her attention. But if it's something longer, something more important, I always run it by her because she does sculpt what mm-hmm. I say. I always have extraneous words in there, even after my second or third edit of myself. That, that second set of eyes is really valuable. It, it really is. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll be back with Carla right after this. And the book is Right to Influence, second edition. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Carla Bass. You can find Carla on LinkedIn. And do you have a website? Yes, www.righttoinfluence.net. Okay. So you, you did the book, not your name. It, you right go. to Influence. That's, that's yeah. my calling nowadays. <clears throat> and and uh, the, the book is available at Amazon, probably any online bookstore, um, and uh, you know, readily available. 
uh, and Carla does teach uh, courses on this, so keep that in mind as well. So let's let's talk about framing arguments here. Sure, that that's where uh, where strategy and the word sculpting tools really do come. Uh, they, they coalesce there. So <clears throat> looking at an argument, an argument is actually um, it, it's it's warfare, and, and the the weapon of choice is words. If you go back to to debates, it's it's uh, opposing views, and your goal is to uh, subdue the opposing points of view through the persuasiveness of your own argument. Not loudness? Well, no. no. Loudness and clever quips. So the debates we're seeing aren't right. (laughs) (laughs) But but in trying to to, to frame a winning argument, I've I've got that broken out into four steps. First, you have to define the issue and its impact, and you do that in terms that are precise and objective and factual. And then you examine, you, you research the pros and cons of alternatives, and you, you present those. Again, uh, you, can, you can be persuasive, and, and the audience can know that you're lobbying for a particular point of view, but you have to be very objective and say, here's option A, pros, cons, options B, and, and so forth. And then, um, then when, you, when you're done examining all those, you recommend a course of action, which would ideally be your, your, uh, your, your objective there. And you describe who's going to benefit and how, and that's how you frame um, a, a winning argument. As you're doing your homework, it's also advisable to, to learn as much as you can from those who hold um, opposing views so that you can make sure that you've identified what those points are and neutralize them as you're, as you're putting forth your own recommended solution. Okay. So give, give me some instances where this would play because – uh, as you know, I write uh, uh, blogs. I write articles, uh, which are basically the same thing. So my blog posts tend to be somewhat shorter. Mm-hmm. Uh, my articles rarely one, run more than 500 words. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to stay, you know, focused. But um, but again, you know, going going back to that word sculpting thing, it it's it's amazing to me how many digressions people can find when they're writing or speaking. Well, um, another item or a strategy that people often don't use and, and it hurts them in their end objective is outline. Outline your thoughts. You know the beginning of your argument. You know the conclusion that you want your audience to reach. So, so develop a roadmap for yourself. I mean, a, an engineer won't, won't, uh, won't start a major project without a drawing. You don't take a major road trip across the U.S. without a roadmap. An outline helps you identify what those key points are, and it actually keeps you on path, on, on track as you're, as you're developing your argument. Then when you've got your, your, um, your product completed, you go back to the outline, and you make sure that you hit all the points that you identified – if there are points in, in the draft that were not in the outline, then you do a yes, no, yes, no. Was that ancillary information that actually detracts from your message? If so, cut it. Uh, or is there a valid reason for having included it? So um, an outline is a really critical step that, that a lot of people don't take. And when you go back to thinking about leveraging time and space, that outline really is critical. It keeps you from wandering. Yeah, it, it, it does. But when I'm writing, regardless of whether I've outlined it or not, and I usually don't, uh, I know the point that I want to make. So I just start start going down that path. 
but tangential thoughts always occur to me. I'm not a linear person by by nature. Um, and I come up with these phrases that I, I love. They don't quite fit. So what I do is clip them, put them in another folder, mm-hmm. and save them for when they will fit. Yep, 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 yep. But, but you know, I'm sitting there going, boy, I really want to say that, though. And and it's it's hard to extend. And I know if I give it to my daughter – she will extract it and she won't save it. Well, well, so it's better you extract it so you can save it. But again, seconds, words, and space count tremendously. Yeah, and that second set of eyes, we've, we've touched on this a couple of times now. Everybody knows what they want to say. And when they sit down to write something, uh, even if they read it over to themselves, uh, not out loud, mm-hmm. They know exactly that it's saying what they thought. If you read it out loud to yourself, you can start to pick up some of those nuanced mistakes. I am a huge believer in reading a product out loud. For one, you can hear how how the text flows or doesn't flow. You can hear if you've accidentally overused a word, if you were too repetitious, those are things that you might not catch just by proofing it visually, but but you 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 hear so much. By reading it out loud, yeah, and and I did that oddly enough the other day with uh, with a, a little flyer that I send out to uh, people who ask about my service. There was a redundancy in a single sentence, mm-hmm. and and I'm going, how did I miss this before? Because I've been using this document for about a year. <laughs> Another thought there is if you if you're composing a very important product, is allow yourself enough time that you can get the first draft, put it down, and walk away and come back in a day or two when when your brain is fresh, when you've got new ideas. That way things pop out. They're either missing or badly worded, or you just have some new inspiration that you can infuse into the document. Uh, but giving yourself time to uh, to revise is really critical. Yeah, and even if you're a senior manager and you have stuff ghosted for you, so somebody interviews you and then writes something. I, from from my perspective, it's even more important for you, the executive, to do a really hard edit on that to make sure it's in your voice and it's conveying what you want to convey. Exactly. Because, you know, even the best, you know, ghostwriters out there, and there's some really good ones, can infuse their own opinions in certain things that may nuance a thought in a different direction. True statement. So, so um, what? Aside from the books, what do you write? Huh. I I still work <clears throat> for the federal government. All of this is is extra. This is this is labor of love stuff. This right to influence and in all the uh, the classes right. that I teach. So I still work for the federal government, and uh, and I write I write ghostwrite, if you will. Um, products that seniors send to Congress and to the White House, and and I'm very passionate about that. Okay, so um, do do you get to edit other people's stuff in your current position or not? Yes. Okay. And, how, and, oh. <laughs> I, I, no, I'm not. I was going to ask how good is it before you get it. No, oh, that, I'm not going. I'm not going to go there. Oh, that that made me snicker a little bit. Yeah. I've got an appendix in in both versions of of the book, both editions. You have to be very careful when you're editing somebody else's work. You have to determine exactly how much help do they want. And it, it's taken me years to uh, 
to approach that. So, you know, instead of looking at a piece of writing that needs lots of help as, oh boy, red meat, you have to go at it gingerly and, and, and ask exactly how much help do you want me to give you? And that makes well, my life question a lot would easier. be how good do you want to look? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm not known for subtlety. Um, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, and uh, we're part of the Federal News Network, and we shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Carla Bass, author of Right to Influence. Uh, Carla, let's shift gears a little bit here and talk about the power of persuasion as it impacts and affects daily business where you work, either if you're a Fed or if you're a contractor. So um, so give give let me let me throw the scenario out here. Uh, we're, we're, we're going into another continuing resolution, number one. So uh, no new projects. So when you're called to Congress to present and or defend your agency, or operating division budget, um, or if if you're called to HQ to defend your operating division budget, give give me some scenarios. Some scenarios, uh, or solutions. I mean, you know, everybody's everybody's facing less money now. Well, exactly. So, so here here's one: um, a problem, impact, solution, um, result. Um, one of the one of the organizations that I help came to me with a problem that our staff can't write effectively. That was a problem. The impact is they weren't able to convey the contributions of their organization to their to their customers. Um, the result was their budget was being cut because they couldn't explain the so what the impact. So the the solution was learn how to banish this bureaucratic blather and write with precision and focus. The result was. They, they were more successful in making their case and retaining a budget and explaining what exactly was their value added. Uh, it, infusing your product with detail is, is a really good strategy. It's another um, technique to make, make your case. So, for example, this, this one item is based on a resume bullet. Um, supervised a team studying an aging logistics system made recommendations sent to the CEO. All right, that that sounds okay, but it's flat. And how you infuse the the detail and make that really pop is supervised a six-person team conducting a five-week study of the aging logistics system, made four recommendations. The CEO accepted all of them, saved the country $800,000. That's the difference that detail makes. So when you're trying to explain uh, or justify your budget or explain your value-added, Adding detail adds dimension, depth, and contour, and it provides the audience kind of a, a mental yardstick to really grasp what it is you're trying to convey. Okay. So let's let's take some other scenarios here. I mean, you know, on my side of the fence, um, whenever uh, companies are facing, you know, uh, revenue shortfalls, Usually, the first department to get a budget slashed is the marketing department, which is exactly the wrong place to cut. I mean that that's that's where you break out the strategic communications. You know, another another opportunity people often miss is if you have a success story, if whatever whatever the project was or or 
whatever you've done that was really a home run. People don't recognize that that's tremendous marketing material, um, whether it's for, for brochures or on the website. But everybody likes to be associated with a winning company. And so anytime that you hit those home runs, you, you really do need to, uh, to, to publicize them and, and claim credit. Right. And, and part of the issue for some contractors is that has to remain internal. It can't go external predicated on who the, the government customer might be. Mm-hmm. So if you're operating in the IC, parts of DHS or justice, um, you know, you, you're not going to be talking publicly about some of those long balls. Oh, and that's true. But the government agency uh, who benefited, they yep. can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, internal communications for, for team spirit and to maintain your budget is, is, uh, is critical. Um, so where, where else, where else would this, uh, apply? You know, the, we, we need to persuade, uh, people to our way of thinking in a number of instances, Mm -hmm. unless of course, uh, our way of thinking reflects the, the, these status quo. So how about when, when it, you know, internally, it doesn't reflect the status quo. So if 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 there is a situation and uh, and your opinion or your proposal varies from the status quo, um, it, it's it's that same problem, impact, solution, benefit um, formula. So you explain you explain to whoever owns the process that here's your here's how you depict the current situation. Here is your idea. And and uh, the benefits that it might bring, so it, it's just um, you know, that same um, problem, impact, solution, and result. But you do it in very precise terms. Okay, um, I want to want to shift again here uh, for a second. Um, when when we're persuading people about our organization being better, and this would be on the contractor side, not the government side, mm-hmm. uh, um, we're, we're building a position that, that our company owns this particular set of intellectual property. They're subject matter expert in this particular type of cybersecurity, this type of business process, whatever. Um, what, what sorts of activities would lend themselves to – I mean, everything we've talked about would lend itself to that. But particular advice in in that area, do you, what do you have? Give me a little bit more. All right. So uh, a small company, uh, you know, 50 people mm-hmm. focusing on a particular area of cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. They, they do this really well. Uh, they're competing, obviously, against larger firms – uh, who do the same activity, but maybe not as well? How, how would you? What would you do to start a uh, um, uh, uh, a content campaign, if you will, to enunciate that? I, I would determine what is it that that I bring that I, my, a small company, can can bring to the fight that a larger company can't. Uh, what are my strengths? Perhaps I have some extraordinarily and very uniquely talented people within my within my organization that that aren't commonly found in uh, in the larger organizations 
um, I'd, I'd consider the, the clients I've had or the problems that I've solved um, and compare those to what the, the bigger guys are doing. What makes me unique, I think, would be a good starting point. Okay. And then, and then convey that. So let's, let's apply that to Carla because mm-hmm. basically you are a contractor. You are doing work for a specific agency at this time. But, but how does Carla position herself? What are you doing uh, I mean, you have the books. Books are always, uh, you know, from my perspective, a book is the best business card you can have. Yes. So um, the I've been I've been blessed, I guess you can say, with with this gift. I I know how to make words work. You know, some people are 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 skilled with math. You look at those Sudoku puzzles. And, and the answers just appear to them. Well, uh, for me, bureaucratic blather, that's how my head works. I can take a paragraph that's 75 words of, of useless redundancy, just ridiculous bureaucratic writing, and, and poof, it appears to me in simple, concise, and, and, uh, and so forth. So, so what I do is I teach this. I share this in – in a way that's fun, it's engaging, it's easy to learn. And, and once once you develop these skills, then you'll recognize the bad writing in other people and other products that you see, and and it, it instills it all the deeper. And, and the other thing I, I tell folks is this is a lifelong skill. You learn how to, to write like this once, and, and it applies to so many things, the reports, the input for your own personal appraisal, that, that people uh, have a hard time with that too. Uh, so, so what does Carla do? She, she shares these insights. That's that's what I do. Okay, and but you know, uh, I'll, I'll get even more particular here. Mm-hmm. You know, when we met a little better than two years ago, uh, it was through, I believe, a phone call. It was, and um, you know, I I I predicate who I select to be on the show with their ability to communicate verbally with me. It's not necessarily what they've written, what they've done, but I need to know that they can come in here and speak. Um, because without that, radio is going to be pretty damn boring. Mm-hmm. I remember you're commenting on how I spoke in one of those very, very early telephone conversations. And and I wasn't aware that, that I spoke any differently than, than normal people. Um, you speak like normal people. You're just more precise about what you say and how you say it. And that's because it's become instinctive, and it can become instinctive for for other folks as well. Um, you know, I, I focus a lot on on the young kids. Uh, I teach um, workshops on writing the college application essays. I love t- teaching uh, classes in in colleges because they're, they're not getting this thing. And if I can, if I can help them position themselves that when they come out of school and they can, they can write and they can speak like this, we're talking catapult themselves over the competition. And this is life changing stuff. It it kills me when, um, you know, if, if you're hiring somebody, you've got two or three job applications, you need someone with very specific skills the problem is that the person who is really the best choice for you who would further your mission doesn't get selected because the guy didn't know how to write a resume. And so the lesser talented person who's better at communicating wins. So 
you know, that's that's a lose-lose situation there. But it doesn't have to be that way. No, it doesn't. Uh, and we're going to take a deeper dive into that after the break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll return with Carla right after this. The FBI is offering a reward of up to $5,000 for information leading directly to the arrest of an Ohio man convicted of a hate crime. Izmir Ali Coach was indicted for failure to self-surrender to a designated prison to carry out his sentence. Special Agent Michael Regal says Coach injured a man he believed to be Jewish outside of a Cincinnati restaurant in February 2017. An investigation led to identifying Izmir Coach as the man that made the anti-Semitic statements and then threw a punch that hit the victim in the back of the head and drove him to the ground. Coach is Anna Hiska Turk, who came to the United States as a refugee from southern Russia. For those reasons, Regal says Coach may be evading law enforcement in Russian or Turkish communities. Mr. Coach grew up speaking Russian, and he also speaks a dialect of Turkish. He also speaks English. If you have any information about Coach's whereabouts, dial 1-800-CALL-FBI or visit tips.fbi.gov. With Wanted by the FBI, I'm Molly Halpern of the Bureau. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here with Carla Bass. Again, you can find Carla on LinkedIn. You can find her at her website, righttoinfluence.net. The book is Right to Influence. And this, this has never impacted me personally, but one of the ways you need to learn to write is when you are interviewing for a job, sending in your resume, or when you're going for that internal uh, position, getting, you know, uh, uh, a raise. You did an article for uh, the Military Officers of America Association, the MOA magazine, uh, called Strategize Your Way to Success. So could you uh, walk us through that quickly? Sure. Again, leveraging time and space, you should always have uh, three messages in your hip pocket. So whether you're going in for a job interview Think in advance, what three short messages do you want to resonate after you exit, whether it's a specific skill or, or a, a former accomplishment, but have these identified, one, two, three, and then, and then work them into the conversation uh, as best you can. Uh, if, if, you're, if, if you are working for, um, you know, in a corporation always, and you're in a leadership position, um, always have in your hip pocket uh, three things that you'd spend money on. If the boss says, hey, I've got an extra $2 million, do you, is there anything that you can use to spend the money? Oh, yes. Boom, boom, boom. Hip pocket information. Um, and uh, if you've got uh, just a couple of minutes to brief a senior level individual, if you had expected 20 minutes but all of a sudden do it a schedule conflict, you've only got two or three minutes with that individual. Mm-hmm. Can you prioritize of the 20 minutes of information that you had, what are the top one or two facts? Okay. So that's strategize your way to success. All right. So h- how do you uh, uh, apply this? I mean, you know, one of the things we discussed in the first show was your uh, your history of helping officers write endorsements for people who were up for uh, a step increase, grade increase, whatever they call it in the mm-hmm. military. Promotions. Um, <clears throat> so that would still apply. So I want you to start there. But but take that to uh, uh, internally at any organization, private sector or public sector, and how do you, you uh, frame your argument that you're ready to, to migrate up? 
um, first of all, you take a look at what your what your job description is and what your boss's expectations were from the last um, interview or performance review that you had with the individual. Take a look at what those expectations were from from last year or the previous interview, and then compare that to what you've done in the meantime. And and you uh, identify how you've measured up or how you've actually exceeded those uh, those expectations. Okay. So um, and and in uh, you know when you were still in the service, um, you you taught other officers on how to what, what's the uh, the phrasing I need here? Uh, how to write those performance evaluations so people would actually get that increase because it's an up or out scenario in the services at a certain point. Well, what well, is and uh, and it comes back to to detailing, providing the details on exactly what the individual accomplished and how that individual stood out. Uh, um, example, my, the the best branch chief. Well, that sounds great, but you have to put it in context. The the best, my number one of 10 branch chiefs, you have to quantify and provide the context so that the folks can truly understand that. Um, individuals are, are they have a hard time with uh, with writing input for their own appraisals. Everybody does, military, civilian, because you feel like you're bragging. So I I advise folks pretend that you're trying to get a deserving subordinate promoted. Don't think that you're beating your own chest and I'm so great. Um, but some of the things you can do to help yourself is keep a job journal. Uh, submit to the weekly activity reports if your organization has that. If not, keep track of what you've done as you've done it and how you've actually moved the mission forward. And be specific. If you get compliments from clients or customers or bosses, keep track of those of those uh, accolades. Um, and, and sometimes – Even if they're oral. Even if they're oral, document memo for record. Memo for record, uh, who said what, what day, and who the who the speaker was, and then some products will let you actually incorporate those quotes if they're short and uh, and concise into the actual appraisal. I mean, if you get a an accolade from the, the CEO or someone um, specifically to you, man, put those words in the in the appraisal. The, those are golden. Okay. So um, it, the, this this would also apply to building a resume. Oh, exactly. Okay. So, um, what, yeah, with 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 the resume, the the opening the opening two lines that's uh, that's that valuable space, and that's where you explain to it's tailored, of course, to the particular employer. It's not a generic resume. So in those those opening two lines is is how you explain here's how I can help you. You don't say these are my skills. Here's how I can help you. And then with the resumes always start with those hard-hitting verbs, developed, into, implemented, uh led. Um one of the biggest mistakes that people make on resumes is is they they mix the opening bullets. Let me read some. This, these couple came from one particular resume, and hear how it snags and how completely ineffective. Co-led, responsible for, solely responsible for, provide coordination, responsible for, coordinates, monitor. That's a a great example of how not to do it. Instead, well, just of, a responsible repeated what three or four times oh, yeah. right there. Yep. So, you know, don't mix the nouns, don't mix the verbs, speak in the same tense if you're opening with verbs, um, uh, and, and purge all of those wasted words. Okay. 
But when when you're part of a team, how uh, and it was a team effort. Uh, how 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 best do you explain uh, you know the team success in your contribution? Well, it would be a member of a five person team that, and then as as specifically and concisely as possible, explain what the team did, and then take it to the next level. And what was your contribution to that team effort? Uh, looking at it from another angle is what would that team not have accomplished had you not been a member of it? And that's how you can distill how it is that you specifically move the ball down the field. Okay, and the job journal should help you do this if you keep it and keep it up to date. Oh, so it's sure. not one of those things where you sit down on the 30th of the month and go, what did I do this past month anyway? And no, who did as, say that? As it, as it happens, <clears throat> as it happens. And, and because people don't usually do that, when the, uh, when the boss comes and says, hey, give me some input to your appraisal, it's like, oh, my golly, what did I do over this past year? And you've really hurt yourself because you haven't kept track of what all those wonderful impacts were. Yeah, I mean, um, again, I don't have to do that, but I, I can go through my, my, my Google calendar and mm-hmm. at least see where I was and where I spoke. But that doesn't keep track of all of the conversations that I've had. Or, it, you know, it doesn't help you with the statistics. It doesn't no, keep those compliments. No. So you're you're hurting yourself by not capturing this data as it as it happens. Cool. Final thoughts. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts. Powerful writing is the lifeblood for successful organizations, and powerful writing changes lives. This is easy to do. Um, I adore teaching it in the workshops that go anywhere from one hour to two full days. I I do deep dives for some clients. Uh, I've taught in in New York City, Chicago, Denver, you know, all sorts of of different locations. And and it's easy to learn. It really is. Cool. Um, Carla, thank you so much for coming in. Carla Bass, the website is righttoinfluence.net. Carla Bass is on LinkedIn. Reach out. Get the book. It's a great, it's a great book. Uh, and this is not my day job. I do advise companies on all aspects of marketing to the government. Content is a big part of that. LinkedIn is a big part of that. LinkedIn is one of the best delivery tools for your content, and too few companies actually leverage it that well. So if you need help on that front, drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 